Well, I'm so humbled uh, to be here, uh, and I do beg that you would continue to pray, because without uh, the Lord's blessing, of course, our meeting will have been in vain. I uh, am not just returning the favor. I truly love your pastor, and uh, I love the son he raised uh, as well, and uh, Brother Graham was a great blessing to Oak Hill, and when he and Kayla married, Sister Kayla became a great blessing as well. So uh, some of you have, have said, uh, you know, how many years it's been since I was here, and we're not going to go into that. Let's just say uh, that it was, it, was, it was a little while ago. I want to turn with you to the book of Hebrews, and notice in chapter 9, the subject of the power in the blood. There is power in the blood. Hebrews 9, and I'll look at verse uh, 11. But Christ, being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Now to begin a, a text with the word but is uh, probably not the wisest thing to do. So, uh, Let's just explain it this way, and that is that Paul is contrasting the Old Testament worship and the New Testament worship, and he has been discussing uh, what things were done under the Old Testament worship, and he then comes to the end of that, and so he says, but, in other words, here's the way it is today. So he's actually contrasting an old way of worship that was more external than internal. It should have affected them internally, but as uh, any of us know, even in this New Testament age, we can, be, we can easily begin doing things outwardly and not have it affect us internally. It's easy to be in the pew compared to being in the spirit in the pew. And so Paul is contrasting the fact that in, under the Old Testament ways, the Hebrews were clinging to their outward form of worship, which was, as we read, uh, done with goats and calves, sprinkling the unclean in that manner. And though the Savior had come, and there had been a new way of worship instituted. They were so 
uh, just due to habit, continuing to adhere to the old way of worship, not only were they missing the new way of worship, but they were also actually missing the blessing of Christ. And again, we would think of ourselves here as Gentiles, and we are. But there's a sense in which we can be Jewish in our thinking. That is, we can be uh, so uh, habitually involved in perhaps our way of worship that we begin to cling again to the outward. And we do need to cling to the outward. I wouldn't change one thing in our form of worship today, and I'm sure you wouldn't either. But we long for it to be more, don't we, than just an outward form of worship. And so this is what Paul is uh, teaching the Hebrew brethren here, and in the same way the Holy Spirit teaches us. We could really be saying now, is there power? That is, is there power? a sense of authority and strength when we think of Christ and the blood that he shed that actually affects us. And as your pastor often says, or at least I think he does, that there's a drop from here to here. And uh, uh, I have used that at home many times after visiting with Brother Dolph. We need that 18-inch drop. Uh, some of you that are smaller, maybe it's only 16 inches, but you do need the drop, and I need the drop as well. So I want to notice with you three things, and, and first of all, since we're discussing the blood, and that's specifically what I want to mention, because he says in verse 13, if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of an heifer Sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So there is uh, the contrast, and it's the contrast of the blood. Now, immediately when we think of Worship involving blood, people get nervous, especially in our day. In fact, it's so often thought that uh, Christianity is just a bloody religion. In fact, those that don't, never even heard of Primitive Baptist, they will say Christianity at large is a bloody thing. And to them, that's very offensive that we would call upon uh, the truth of the blood of Christ. But here he says... It's the blood of Christ alone that is going to purge our conscience from dead works. It's only the blood of Christ that will enable us to be taken from an old, outward, habitual, dry, and dull form of worship and be brought into an enlivened and a very active, inwardly, soul sense of worship. In other words, it actually takes something that drastic. Now, we've been with uh, Graham and Kayla for a couple of days, and uh, Graham took me out, and we, uh, I didn't do anything much. I was just along uh, to be there, 
but uh, he pretended that I was helping him. And uh, we, uh, as I huffed and puffed and tried to uh, walk over the hills and we moved some fence and uh, I thought, uh, you know, I sure am breathing hard for doing nothing. But then I ran into some briars and my, my hand was just bleeding. I mean, y'all really ought to have compassion on me. Uh, well, what's the point? The point is blood does get our attention. A little child always, they can be hurt, but if it's not bleeding, they can get over it. But if it's bleeding, they need mother or dad. And this text brings to our attention that before the Lord, our situation in the presence of God is of such dire consequences, of such dire need, that it's going to require blood. And when, when you begin to think about the cl cleansing, uh, you know, I'm not involved in doing the laundry. Maybe some of you husbands are good husbands, unlike myself, and you help your wife with the laundry. But uh, it, it can be questioned, what, what is, what is the, the most difficult stain to get out? And you might say, I don't know, wine or, or prune juice or, you know, uh, blood or whatever. But I'm going to offer for you today the greatest and the most difficult stain to cleanse is a guilty conscience. A conscience that is guilty. There are attempts to cleanse the conscience in many ways. I believe that there are many of God's children uh, perhaps like uh, Lot, who vexed his soul from, from, from day to day, his righteous soul from day to day. He was, he was miserable, and every sin we commit, it will make us miserable if we're aware of the sin. It will, in fact, stain our conscience, and we will be aware that uh, something is wrong. When God gives his children the new birth, and he plants the law in their hearts, they are aware that they are unholy to some degree. And the gospel no doubt enhances that, but, but they are a changed creature. And they are aware that they are not right. They, they won't feel right with people. Have you ever seen a little child who's uh, been guilty and been in the cookie jar? And then you come in and they're going to duck and dart and try to stay away. And we're the same way in the presence of God. And the only cleansing method for the conscience is the blood of Christ. And so uh, we, we must realize, first of all, that our sin before God is so dire that it requires blood for cleansing. There is no other way to cleanse the conscience. It's interesting in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 18, we are aware of the term blood guiltiness. And even in our day, there are times when uh, some would, would admit that perhaps if a crime has, has taken someone's life, that as the Lord told Noah when he came out of the ark, that uh, blood should be shed for blood. In other words, that it would be proper to have capital punishment. So also, 
We sometimes get to the place that we think unless there's capital punishment, in other words, we have shed blood, that we therefore have not committed that great of a sin. But that's not true at all. In the book of Ezekiel chapter 18, he's bringing about the uh, realization of what sins are actually blood guilty in the sight of God. It's difficult for us, unless the Holy Spirit bless us deeply, to realize any sin. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but any sin, any sin in the presence of God is worthy of death. And here in the book of Ezekiel, he mentions, uh, let's, let's pick this up uh, in, in verse 10. If he begot or beget a son that is a robber and a shedder of blood and hath done the like to any one of these things, and that doeth not any of those duties, but even hath eaten upon the mountains and defiled his neighbor's wife, hath oppressed the poor and needy. Now notice he included blood guiltiness, shedding someone's blood. But he didn't stop there. Friends, we are in great need this afternoon. Dire need. And here he says, If he hath oppressed the poor and the needy, hath spoiled by violence, hath not restored the pledge, and hath lifted up his eyes to the idols, hath committed abomination, hath given forth upon usury, and hath taken increase, shall he then live? He shall not live. He hath done all these abominations. He shall surely die. His blood shall be upon him. Now that is not good news. That is dark, dark news. Am I guilty of these things? Well, I can think perhaps I've not murdered, but if I go to the Sermon on the Mount, I have been angry. I, I have been so angry, I was frightened. I, I had frightened myself. I'm, I'm not glad to tell you that. But in the Lord's sight, we're all made in the image of God. I didn't say we were all children of God on the earth. I said we're all made in the image of God. But if I think of destroying one, God is not pleased. But that's not the only thing. How about with you? Is your conscience guilty? Here he says, if he hath spoiled how has he spoiled? In other words, how has he destroyed that which is good? He's not restored a pledge. He hath lifted up his eyes to the idols. And we say, oh, I've never bowed down to idols. Well, I'm afraid I have. There have been occasions. Has there been with you? Where is your conscience? You see, we are so prone, rather than to face this, really the idol of our day is busyness. We like to stay busy so we don't have to face the way things really are. I can perhaps have raked the yard 
and my muscles are all sore, and then if I get busy doing something else, I can kind of half forget, maybe, what's really aching. And we can get so busy, or we may try to suppress the guilt of our conscience in many other ways. We may do it by enjoying music. There's nothing wrong with music. Don't misunderstand me. Nothing at all. I love music. Grandma's playing music coming over here today, and it just soothed my soul. To, to, I had been in worship for an hour before we got here. So music's wonderful. But I have been at a time in my life when I tried to play music, ask my wife, and I would turn it up and up and up. Because it drowned out what was bothering me. In fact, when the children were small, I actually ran over their cat because the music was so loud. And I had the windows down so I could crank it up. You say, well, that's, that's crazy stuff. No, it's serious stuff. To think that you can turn up music loud enough to get rid of your conscience does not work. Or to get very, very busy. We, perhaps this is more common with men, but I'm, I'm not sure. I think, it's, I think where there's a, uh, a wonderful woman taking care of a home, she also so can get very busy. And so we, we use many things to attempt to get rid of the fact, as he says here in Ezekiel 18, that we are guilty. And so he says we bound down, those that have bowed down to idols. Well, that music... Or busyness is an idol. An idol is anything that we absolutely, totally, completely think we need or we cannot go on in life. And it can be many different things. I thought I had to get married at one point. I mean, I, I just said, I, I will not live. And after I dated a few girls and it went south real fast and it was absolutely the most dull three hours at a football game I had ever experienced, I said, Lord, this is in your court. You know, I'll marry the girl you bring to me and that's it. So, so that was an idol for a while. We all have idols. And he says they're worthy of death. That is so hard to take. But that is true. It's worthy of being separated from God. That's what death is. Death is a separation from God. Adam and Eve sinned. They were immediately separated from God. Death would come upon the body, right? And eventually they would be separated from God forever. And the knowledge that that's the creatures we are is very, very difficult to take. Well, I want to turn the corner now and notice with you first one thing, and then we'll turn and look at what this text is saying. He says that the blood of Christ will purge our conscience, our guilt. Now, uh, as, we, as we begin to look into this, let me say this. If you have sensed your guilt, you, you have realized that there is a God that's holy as we were singing. If you have realized that, that you are not pure in the sight of God, 
you're a blessed creature. Because God has worked in your heart or you would, you would never have come this far. It's after we see what we are that we can get messed up if we don't hear the gospel. But what I want to notice with you is, is the gospel declares good news, but it does not bring about the cleansing of our conscience eternally. Christ actually did a work on the cross. He completed a work on the cross. And all of God's children, and this is the best news you'll ever hear, all of God's children will spend eternity with him forever. And even if someone does not come to the realization of what Christ did, what did I title the sermon? Power in the blood. The blood is so powerful, they'll all be there. <laughs> that is wonderful. What are we looking at? I'm going to look with, with you for a few moments, objective truth, and then we'll look at subjective truth. Now, right now, I could think, close my eyes while you were singing, and I could think, I'm in Austin. I'm in worship at Oak Hill. This singing is beautiful. And I feel the presence of God. Does that mean I'm in Oak Hill? No. Wasn't true at all. When we think of the blood of Christ, we're thinking of an objective truth. It's not that our thinking brings the truth into actuality. The blood of Christ actually saves his people. And then what Paul is saying is that where goats and calves were to remind us of sin, what Christ did when we see it and when we're blessed to believe it actually cleanses our conscience from sin. It's exactly the opposite. One reminds us of sin, the other we see the remission of sin. Now again, I want to be very clear, seeing it does not actually bring about the remitting of it before God's eternal throne, but it does cleanse our conscience when we realize our sins have been remitted. Now I've used this, uh, this example my whole ministry, and probably uh, Brother Dolph has used it, and since I haven't been here for 30 years, maybe you don't remember me using it when I was here last. I don't know if I did use it when I was here last. But if someone pays off my mortgage on my home, they go to the bank. Nobody loves me this much. I'm really down in the dumps about it. But anyway, suppose someone loved me enough. They would pay off my mortgage. And I didn't know about it. Would the mortgage be, excuse me, paid? They went to the bank. They paid $150,000, $70,000, whatever a mortgage is worth. $500,000 in this world. Would it be paid? Well, what about when I found out it was paid? 
I'm scraping and pinchy penny, you know, getting through life, and then I get together enough and I send it in, and the bank calls. And they say, there's no need of this. And I say, why? And they said, your mortgage is paid off. I said, what do you mean? That's not true. I said, yeah, it's paid off. That, in my understanding, and it's what I'm asking you to consider what the scripture is saying, is likened unto when you understand the gospel. You are thrilled, you overwhelmed, you are released in your own conscience from thinking you can ever live pure enough in the sight of God. And it's a new day. We sang that song, it's a new day dawning. <laughs> it's a new day dawning. Well, notice our text, and then we'll look at some objective truths. But the text says that uh, if by the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean, it sacrifice or sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Now, what I'm going to attempt to, to show with you is that the blood of Christ actually, totally, completely purged our sins in the presence of God eternally forever when Christ died. And then Paul is saying, when you look at that, that's when your conscience is washed or cleansed and you have joy individually. But friends, believing something that's not true does not help anything. Believing that I'm washed in the blood, if I'm not washed in the blood, does not make me washed in the blood. Believing that I'm washed in the blood, when I am washed in the blood, cleanses my conscience and I live in a new way. And so, first of all, let's go to Romans chapter 5. And the passages are too plain. I don't know how you study the Bible. I'm positive your pastor has instructed you very well in studying the Bible. But one of the key things to me in studying the Bible is that you interpret the more difficult or the more vague in light of that which is very plain, in that which cannot be misunderstood. Well, let's look in Romans 5 at a text that cannot be misunderstood. He says in verse 9, uh, well, let's pick up verse 8. God, but God commendeth his love toward us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Okay, now whatever he's saying is hinged on Christ's death. Can we agree that that's what it's saying? Whatever he's going to say next is hinged on the death of Christ. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Period. Signed, delivered. He says we're saved 
from the wrath of God. Now, friends, that is a powerful statement. And it took place on the cross. He didn't say he shed his blood and then we're going to be justified in the sight of God later. He said we were justified from the wrath of God when Christ shed his blood. And the book of Colossians says exactly the same thing. In chapter 1, is it chapter 1? Maybe it's chapter 2. It's chapter 1. He says, uh, verse 20, And having made peace, having made peace, does that say he will make peace? Or there's something been done that you can add to it and get peace. He says, first of all, in uh, Romans 5, we have been justified. All of God's children, it's you if you see yourselves guilty and God blesses you to see it. It's many that don't, but it's great evidence if you do see it. So he says there's justification. Justification, he said, by the blood of Christ. What is justification? It's to be declared not guilty. He said it took place in the presence of God so there was no wrath upon the sheep that were chosen before time. He said they were justified. Now here he says there is peace. Friends, God's children are at peace with him. With regards to God's having any judgment upon them eternally. It pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. That's the verse before that. I think that's a very important verse. All fullness with regards to blessing and eternal joys he said, they're all in him. And then he said, having made peace. Is that present tense or past tense? He says it's completed. It's over and done. He said, having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And, of course, our text is in the book of Hebrews, and the book of Hebrews is replete. I think there's, I can't remember just now, eight, nine, or ten times the, uh, uh, the word blood is used. But he tells us here, Christ, I mean, I'm back in chapter 9 and verse 24, Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. And verse 18 up above that says that uh, without the shedding of blood, there's no issuing in of this blessing. And you're, you're familiar with uh, Leviticus 17 and 11. He says the life of the flesh is in the blood thereof. So, so friends, our guilt is so enormous. It took the blood of Christ let that, let that sink in. In Romans 5 and in Colossians 1, 20, he says, his blood. His blood. I, I've 
come upon loved ones who were bleeding. This may be too graphic to tell, but I'll tell it. One time we were, uh, uh, we were at work and we were in a, a long bobtail truck and a car ran up under us and severed the car from the hood up and without getting into any uh, other details, you can imagine what happened to the occupants in the car. But Jesus Christ was on the cross and he was voluntarily shedding his blood for me and for you. That was a big deal. That was a big deal. I'm not saying that it's where redemption was accomplished, but I'm saying it should draw our attention when we think of the scourging. That was our elder brother. That, that, was, that was one that loved us so much. There may be several uh, medical professionals in the congregation. I don't know. But I've really, I know of one, yes, Charlotte's looking at me like, don't you remember what Lincoln does? <laughs> yes, I remember what Lincoln does. I'm just saying there may be others. <laughs> Uh, but it's meant a lot to me. We have those at home that have been working, helping people with COVID for the last couple of years. And I don't, I don't know what, you know, without getting into all the uh, varied beliefs about all this, there may be there there are some at least who've I suppose passed away from it, right? And when I think of others working there, I think they 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 really care to put themselves on the line. But here was someone that came from heaven. He really did. He came from heaven. He didn't come across the street to give you an evening meal. No. And he didn't come down like an angel. No. And I'm not saying this was part of redemption. I'm not saying that. I'm just think, asking you to think for a moment before we get to the cross. He was, he was birthed. He was whipped and scourged. And I don't know, I'm, I'm not what I think I am. I was telling Brother Dolph before. The older I get, the more I realize I'm not what I've even purported to be. I'm such a sinner. I used to think I really, you know, got it together. But when I even think of my wife, and she's not shedding blood, but caring for me, fixing meals, staying up late, it, it, really, it really touches me. But how is it when God, before time, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, Hebrews, offered himself without spot, 
He determined before time to go to the cross and through his shed blood redeem us. This is a real big thing because he was man. He was all God too, but he was man. Please just ponder again what was being done. And he made a covenant beforehand. Every one of us need need to realize we can do things that sever relationships. Marriages can end up broken because one or the other does something that severs the relationship. He knew we would be unfaithful. He knew we would be the adulterer, and we are because we have eyes for things other than him. He knew that we would shed blood in the sense that we have anger. He knew what we was like, yet before time, he determined in the blood of the everlasting covenant, he would come and shed his blood on the cross for me. Now, I don't know what you think of yourselves or where you get your ego trip. We all try to get, to get it somewhere. But, but I am uh, proposing to you that where we need to go often and again and again is to the cross and look what was done for us as he hung there shedding his blood and enduring the wrath of God in our place because that's what it took to redeem me, and suddenly something happens in my psyche. Suddenly something happens in God's children if he blesses the gospel to their soul, and there no doubt are many that do not hear the gospel. But friends, those who hear it, this purges their conscience, and instead of thinking, Poor me, wretched me, no good me, I can't get my life together me, when will I ever serve him like I should me? I see in the cross, God loves me. Now get ready, this is almost going to sound like heresy. Just like I am. Now I didn't say quit trying to be holy, I didn't say that. I did not say that. I didn't say don't strive. I didn't say that. But I'm saying before the throne of God, your conscience is clean and his love for you. And this is also going to sound like heresy, but it's not. His love in the everlasting covenant is steady. I didn't say he might not manifest his love more or less. But I said in the blood of the everlasting covenant, his love for you is unchanged. I can't imagine that. My mother used to say when dad came home, she could tell when he got out of the truck what kind of a day it had been. If he came slumping in, walking slowly, She knew things had not gone well. But if he came in whistling or something, she knew things were going very well. Well, friends, in a spiritual way, how's it going with you? Friends, this world's in trouble. God's children are in trouble. 
And I, I think I can say this without any equivocation. You're in trouble. Every day, whether you're five or 105, you have trouble because of yourself. And I'm encouraging you, as Paul was encouraging the Hebrews, because this is just as much for us as it was to the Hebrew brethren, is discontinue so much justifying yourself through how you're doing and how you think others are thinking of you and to live in the presence of the holy God who gave his blood for you and that purges your conscience to serve him with joy, with freedom. Would it be wrong if I was able to jump up and click my heels right now? If I was able, that'd be... I mean, think of what David did. And he was in the Old Testament. His wife was upset with him. She said he wasn't in a coat and tie. And he was dancing before the Lord. I'm not asking anyone to get out and dance right now. But I'm saying there was a spirit... Of deliverance. Brethren, do you know one of the difficulties with the church? It ought to be that people were looking in and smudging the windows on the outside at dancing in a proverbial way. I'm not advocating dancing during service. But a joyful group of people. I'm afraid too often the smudges are on the inside of the window. And we're looking out thinking all the fun's out there. That is not true. Sin defiles. Sin destroys. There's nothing good for us in a sinful world. But in this truth there is blessing. There is deliverance. There is joy. I encourage you every time you're discouraged. Every time you're depressed. Every time you think I can't keep going. To look to the blood of Christ. There is power in the blood. There is power to redeem us from eternal misery. And the power now. Somebody's probably quoting Romans 1.16 in your mind. That the gospel is the power of God. Here's, that's what we're talking about. So let's read the text again. How much more? More than what? More than anything we ever look at. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works. You know what? What happens to us? I think, well, we have to sing. Really? We have to sing? No, we get to sing. Well, Brother Dolph called on me to pray. <laughs> You're praying to the one that died for you. Said a chore to visit with my wife. God help us. Help us, our conscience, to be purged so that what we see he's done in shedding his blood 
we live out in joy in serving him. There's nothing he could call upon us to do. Now, this is radical. There's nothing he could call upon us to do that would be too much. When you think of what he went through for us, that's how clean and, and how marvelous it is what he's done for us. God bless you all. I thank you for the time.